Hi and welcome to the latest edition of the Leadership Untitled podcast, the show that brings an expert from the world of leadership and or L&D to help you guys hopefully avoid some of the traps that we've fallen into ourselves, but also provide you with just some hints and tips to make your workplaces a much better place to be. My guest this week is Major Charlotte Hayes. Now Charlotte is an army major serving in the Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers Division. In March 2021, Charlotte posted a photo of herself on LinkedIn in full uniform, stating, I am a leader, I am an army officer, I am a chartered engineer. Referring to the need to stop using gender pronouns, which delineate between the capabilities of men and women. Around 1.5 million views, over 30,000 reactions and 1,500 comments later, I think it's safe to say that Charlotte's message was clearly resonated and evoked a positive response. It's that example of strong, authentic and vulnerable leadership that prompted me to ask Charlotte if she'd be a guest on the podcast to talk me through the experiences that had led to that post, but also her own experiences of leadership in the army, as well as what we could all learn from them. So, less talk from me as I welcome Charlotte to the show. Hi Charlotte, welcome to the Leadership Untitled podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Awesome stuff, awesome stuff. It's uh, We're going to get into kind of the nuts and bolts of uh, of your career and, and what it is you do. I just want to uh, just want to let the listeners know what it is that, uh, or why it is rather, that I reached out to you on, uh, on LinkedIn. Um, and I think it's safe to say you can now call yourself LinkedIn viral. I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> yes, apparently I am viral, but um, I'm not viral. The post is viral. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. Um, that said, it has got a wonderfully large picture of yourself. That's the first thing that came up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and um, I read I read something which I do believe in. It's um, the person doesn't make the post viral. So although it does have my picture on it, it's potentially the words that resonate with everybody and the truth behind the post. So that's what that's what's gone viral, not no. necessarily. Me. Absolutely. But I will concede that my photo does add a bit of drama. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you. Because well, it is, and, and to get to cut to the chase, that is, that is the words that you've put on there that 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 meant I wanted to reach out to you. Um, it just came up on my post. Now, obviously, we weren't connected beforehand, um, and it's because the kind of viral sense of what was going on that it, it appeared on on my feed. Um, and what I'll do is I can put a link to the I can put a link to the post on the in the notes so people can kind of see that as well to so see what we're actually talking about. Um, but it's talking about, and I'm, I'm just like reading off the screen. If you can see me just looking off at the moment, it's uh, it just literally started off. And you've got to remember in LinkedIn. You can only see the first couple of lines before you click to see more sometimes as well. So the picture was there and it says, I am a leader. And that's all I could see. And I thought, I'm in. And I clicked, <laughs> clicked on it and it said, I am an army officer. I am a chartered engineer. I do not meet, need the prefix male, female, sorry. My male counterparts have never had the prefix male. I do not delineate between the capabilities of each gender. And I think it's time we all took this approach value the individual and skills they bring not what group you think they should belong to uh, and i just thought it was absolutely fantastic and, and it in it that literally within a couple of minutes meant that i sent you an email and asked you if you if you'd like to come onto the show just to talk about well absolutely everything to do with your experiences and leadership um, not just that post obviously because there's a lot of years and decades that have gone into the, the creation of that post, I guess. Um, so I guess for the for the listeners, 
let's start there. Let's start with a, an introduction to yourself. Let's, let's see who you are and uh, and give us a bit of a background of what it is you do, why you do it and how you got there. So, yeah, so um, I am Charlotte Hayes and I am a female <laughs> and I'm very happy to be a female. I don't pretend I am not a female. Um, but I've discovered from 17 years in the armed forces that I'm often referred to as the female officer or the female engineer. And this sometimes can make you feel like you're the second class version. And I noticed that my male colleagues are never referred to as the male officer or the male engineer. They're just the officer or the engineer. Um, so um, I made my post. It was international. Um, Women's Day was approaching. There was lots of stuff about women in defence, women in engineering, in engineering. Sorry. So it was on my brain. Anyway, I was thinking about it. But um, another post um, that was gathering momentum by a lady called Ashley Sumner from America, who's a founder of a company. She was doing a similar post along the lines of, I am a, I am a founder, not I am a female founder. Mm. And obviously I'm not a founder, I'm not a CEO of a company, but I thought, do you know what? That's bang on, that is bang on. For 17 years, I have been an army officer. I have been an engineer, now I'm a chartered engineer. And for 17 years, I have been a leader, not a female one. Um, just that, I don't need that prefix. And in my team, the people that I work with, they're soldiers or they're officers. They're, again, not separated by anything that could, you could use to separate them. Mm. Yes, we all have different life experiences and we all come from different backgrounds and that gives us lots of different skills and perspectives and wonderful things to cherish and help make our team a better team. But I don't need to prefix that person with those bits that make them different. Um, so I just felt it was a little bit time, a little bit time just to say what I've been feeling for so long. And literally, I just I just made my post. I honestly genuinely thought it would go unnoticed. I hardly had any connections on LinkedIn. And yeah, um, one and a half million views, um, 30,000 comments and 1,000, oh no, 30,000 30, likes and then 1,500 comments later. Um, yeah, inundated with requests to, to speak to people about my experience as a leader. Um, so I, I joined the army in 2004. Um, why did I join the army? Um, I actually really, really always wanted to be an engineer. That's all I ever wanted to be when I was at school. I absolutely loved electronic engineering, which was part of design and technology. And I love technical drawing. So um, on leaving school, that's all I wanted to do. When I was at university, um, I joined a thing called the Officer Training Corps, which gave me a little bit of a flavour as to what the Army is about. But most importantly, I think the engineering side of me was, was what was driving me the most. I really wanted to be an engineer, but I wanted to be an engineer in a uh, different situation, not sat behind a desk. Yeah. And clearly, being an engineer in the army means you are not sat behind a desk. You yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> you are out there. So I suppose that's where the nugget of joining the army started, working on exquisite a te a technology. Um, you know, nobody not many people have tanks or attack helicopters or exquisite weapon systems. So yeah, the, the draw of working on something exciting, changing, demanding, and all around the world um, was, was the bit that drew me in. Um, and then obviously after, at that point, you go through the selection process um, to become an army officer. So if they think you've got some potential, 
um, then they will um, offer you a place at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst. And then that's sort of like where your leadership training starts. And it's not because you're not a natural leader, um, because they've done the whole assessment process before. So they've tried to identify what they think might make you a good leader anyway. Mm -hmm. And then it's all about your year at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst is all about developing and teaching you that. But you never stop developing and learning ever. Every situation that you're in, you'll realise there's a new bit to your leadership style mm -hmm. and you're learning new things. And I certainly learned that in a recent pandemic they definitely need a more compassionate side of leadership when people are deal with the complexities of domestic situations as well mm. as trying to do their day jobs so is that something so is that something that everyone going into the army um gets a focus on then their leadership skills and abilities not just those who are leaders no so even if you are a junior entry um even if you enter as a soldier everybody is a commander and a leader in the army so even a junior soldier when they become a lance corporal and then corporal sergeant and up they're a leader at every opportunity and they're empowered to lead their their teams or their subordinates yeah um, so it's always everybody's a leader but everybody's also a follower mm. <laughs> so we do learn about followership and how important it is um to support leaders and follow leaders obviously not follow unlawful orders or do anything that's not appropriate um, it's all about working together, um, having a great team ethos and having trust within the team. But ultimately, you do need that figurehead, that leader that makes the decisions mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, potentially sets, sets the tone, sets the feel and um, leads, leads everyone on towards the vision as a collective. It takes everybody with them, uses mm. everybody's skills and, um, and keeps everybody um, fully aware of why they're doing stuff. Because it's really important to know why we're doing this mm. um, so that they can um, be part of that vision, own a bit of that vision, feel empowered to contribute and, and achieve it together. I mean, immediately I kind of go and we'll, we'll go more into this later on around where do we think some lessons could be learned from the army in, in sort of wider society and business. But just just what you just said there about everyone's a leader and everyone's a follower. And you cover both of those things when you join the army, regardless of where you're joining, what you're joining, at what level you're joining. It that is a amazing, and b completely so remotely detached from the rest of business, um, because no one, very, very, very few. I mean, I've told the story quite a few times on here, so I won't go into the details of it again. That as a as a um, as a kind of a more sort of mid level um l d professional i wanted to go on to a, a leadership development course and at that time i couldn't because i wasn't a leader of people um so it was quite short-sighted in that sense and you know a lot of businesses still do the same thing that people are brought on they're taught to do the role and out you go there's nothing about what leadership is and what followership is i mean that's not only is it a foreign concept i think that's that's really an inspiring way to think about everyone joining a company yeah, so even, even the lowest um, team in your organisation, even if they don't necessarily have a notional figurehead that's maybe a higher level or, you know, just defined the leader, they might have just come together as a bunch of colleagues and are working on a project together as a team. But one of them will naturally lead the team. One of them will naturally do mm. that. So that person's got some leadership skills and is leading and 
um, we would recognize that in the army and that person, we'd make sure that we empower them to enhance and improve on that and coach and mentor them so that they can progress up the, up the food chain, so to speak. So, um, but everybody who's in that team is also got a task that they're leading. So they might have been given a role or responsibility to lead on. So mm. they're showing some form of leadership, self-initiative, you know, um, self-belief, and they're getting on with it. And then they're coming back together and collaborating. But all of them are also following. And uh, followership doesn't mean you just follow orders, because there's a lot of misconception that in the army, everybody just follows orders, you just do as you're told. No, they are not our values and standards. I mean, our standards are to be lawful, be appropriate and um, be professional. So if anyone was to ask you to do something that isn't one of those things, then you wouldn't do it. And we mm. would empower all, everyone to stand up and do the right thing. Um, I mean, I mean that's that's really that really connects to something strong that uh, I talk about sometimes on webinars as well. That there's a there's a there was a big trend that started in uh, American sports in the 1990s around standards rather than rules. And I love the way that you talk there about the fact that there are certain standards in place that people will then basically filter everything that they're going to do or asked to do or are thinking to do just against those just against those standards rather than it having to be a rule book of a hundred things <laughs> that they're told not to do. It's a, uh, it, it's a standard sheet of far fewer things that they, that they know they need to embody at all times. Yeah. So I suppose the, the academics would call it um, value-based leadership. So mm -hmm. we have our values, which are courage, discipline, um, respect, integrity, loyalty, and selfless commitment. And then we have the standards, which are the um, appropriate behavior, lawful and professional. And that's all you need to remember. Mm. And that's what you, you, whatever you do, you need to abide by those. But you also, with most leadership, you know, you, you need to be rewarded for good behaviour, but there also is discipline. And in the army, that's what you're disciplined against. And it is that simple. You are disciplined against those values and standards. Um, and if you break those values and standards, then you can be disciplined against those. So it's really easy to know where the boundaries are, which helps. Mm. Um, can you do values-based leadership in um, civilian companies? I don't know. I think the um, in the army, um, you have a real sense of unity and a sense of unity of cause. And it's probably to do with the role on operations, because when you go on operations, you are absolutely with each other 100% and your teamwork, your cohesion and your lives depend on each other. So there's a brotherhood, a sisterhood and an unprecedented level of trust because you literally have got each other's back. And I'm not sure. So, so you really believe in those values. You become those values. And that's mm. kind of what binds you together. I'm not sure if in a civilian country, if where companies have their values, how much buy-in there is, or whether people, you know, come to work in the morning. Yeah, I believe in those values on the wall. Spot on. I'm with you. <laughs> oh, five o'clock, it's time to go home. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I've not worked in a civilian country company, and, I, and I'd love to be, you know, see see where values-based leadership really does work but I think the environment or the dynamics that you're in in the army um, really encourage that sense of values-based leadership. Mm. And I think there's a, there's a connection with what, what, you've, what you've already talked about and that is that you know if you're brought in just to do a job and you're told what that job is and you're trained only to do that job then 
I can I can see why that wouldn't necessarily lead to a connection. Whereas immediately, if, if I was to apply what you talked about there, about everyone's a leader and everyone is recognized as a leader, but equally as a follower, and, and again, are kind of trained and talked through and mentored through both of those things. You that, that, that organically for me starts talking to the fact that there is something bigger at play than just what you're doing here. And you're connected to more of it than you think you probably are if you just do that job. Um, I, I, I can say that certainly in some of the corporate places that I've seen that that isn't the case. So you, you, you only do, you're told about these values that you quite rightly say they're painted all over the wall at reception and in all the meeting rooms. Um, but then you're just told to do your job. And so there isn't a map or a need almost sometimes to really live those values to do your job. Yeah, so I, I feel um, a certain type of person joins the army anyway. I think mm. that's probably a, a fair call to say. Um, so you probably do already have some kind of um, drive to give um, something to other people because... Um, I mean, a lot of us join for the excitement. I totally joined for the excitement. I wanted to be an engineer and I wanted to be an exciting engineer. I didn't want us to be sat in a CAD office. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, um, so that, that was the draw. But I think the hook, the bit that makes you stay is that is that team ethos and that unity and that trust and that sense of purpose. And I, I find that um, when I'm in difficult situations and I'm trying to get my team to do something that they don't necessarily want to do, they really need to understand why. Mm. Why are we doing this? So even if it's in barracks and they've got to work really long hours um, because something important's coming up, why are they not at home with their families? Why are we doing this? So if they don't know why they're there and what they're doing it for, then they won't do it. Um, so communication is key mm -hmm. as well. So you really need to make sure that they understand um, what the higher aim is, the bigger picture, and how they fit into that. And then once you've done that, once they understand the why, you need to give them their bit of the why they're important. So you need to know your team and say to them, this is what we're going to do, and I'm choosing you to do this because you're good at this. So-and-so is going to help you because they're also good at this. You're going to collaborate together. You're going to work together. You're going to empower them to own their task. In the army, we have a thing called mission command. Mm -hmm. We never tell somebody how to do something. We tell them what effect we want at the end. So we empower them to come up with a solution or the route map to the end product themselves. Clearly, we'll um, get them to what we would say brief us on what their plan is to make sure you know that there's success. In, uh, they're going to achieve success. We wouldn't just you know let them go like lambs to the slaughter. Yeah. But we would um we would encourage them to understand the higher level intent, and we would tell that's the why. Yeah. We would make sure we communicate that to them. And obviously my leaders are doing this to me. <laughs> so mm. they're telling me why and they're communicating in a clear fashion. And then they're telling me what they want me to achieve. What they're not saying, at this time you'll do this, at this time you'll do that, and then you'll do X, Y, and Z. They're yeah. saying, this is what we want, go away, achieve it. So I'm empowered, I know why I'm doing it, and it's my plan I get to own it. Yeah. Um, so there's a real clarity about that. There's a real clarity of expectations, but also yeah. there's a there's a consistency all the way through the hierarchy. So I'll get checked on. How's your plan going? Have you thought about this? You know, I'll be mentored and coached and maybe stirred a bit if I'm going off piste. Mm -hmm. 
and then I'll be doing that to my subordinates, to my team. Um, and then from that, they're all growing, developing, mentoring as well. And then there just generally becomes a really good team effort to make things work and for to achieve things as a team. Things leadership goes wrong when when the leader is all out for themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're looking up all the time, looking up, looking up, what does my boss want? What does he want me to do? What's going to make me look good? Mm. That's when it all goes wrong. Because for me, that's not the point of leadership. Leadership is, 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 is a service. You are serving your followers, your subordinates. Every day, whatever you do is for them. So you can't constantly be looking up to see what's going to make you good, look good because you won't have your team with you and you won't look good without any support. Hmm. It's a bit like having good family support at home. Yeah. So you need to be looking up to make sure you know what you've got to achieve, but you really need to be looking down and outwards. You need to be looking down to make sure that you know your team, you know what they're good at and you know what they're capable of. And then that way, whatever you need to achieve, you can achieve it together. And you as a leader need to work really hard to help them to work, to empower mm. them and to bring out their skills and to use their skills. And that, that way you'll achieve whatever the task is. And then the byproducts are that, you know, when, when you do look up, you know, they go, oh, you did that well. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yes, thank you. It was my team and I. It was never just I. Um, so there's a real focus there on, on really understanding your people, understanding where they are now in their journey, but also what it is you can do to help them unlock their true potential, whether it's with you or with each other or by other means to really get them to perform at the top of their game, even if they didn't know they were capable of that. Yeah. So you really need to know you're in the army. You really need to know your team. And I don't just mean you need to know what point in their career they're at, they're at whether they're eligible for promotion, what training courses they need to do or have done. You need to know them. And if that means you need to know um, their family's names, their children's names, what their hobbies are, Mm -hmm. you don't need to know it in detail, but you need to be able to have a conversation with them. So if you see them looking down or just at a loose end, you can say, how was your weekend? Did you go mountain biking? Or did you spend time with your kids, you know, Ben and Adam or whatever you need to know enough detail so that they know that you know them and that you're invested in them and then that that brings the trust and then also we've got, we've got, we've got sirens going past they're coming they're coming to get me or you I don't know which one it is <laughs> or both of us <laughs> so you know just en- not just enough but if you know enough about your team to be able to have a pleasant personal conversation and then you know about their professional side in detail so you know their skills, what they need, what they do for their careers. Then you can build trust and you can communicate. Um, and then I, I just I just feel that that adds to le- a personal touch. And um, famous quote from Slim is, leadership is just you. Just plain you. Yeah. Well, you, talked, I, you talked about authenticity a lot and uh, when we chatted yeah. the other week. And that was that's at the key of what you've just been talking about there, just so many times in in big office environments that that monday morning chat is very much you're all right yeah you're all right yeah did you have a good weekend yeah did you yeah yeah thanks right, catch you later there's 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 like a quick attempt at connection 
<laughs> but it, but on the on the route to let's get something done here, what is it you need? Um, whereas that's much more of a, I really need to understand my people. Let's just ask some questions. Let's have a conversation. Forget about what it is we're here to do for a second. How's the person who's going to be doing it? Yeah, because I felt myself when I come into work and someone says to ask me how my children are by their names or how my husband is by his name or because, you know, like most people in the army like to do crazy sport, they mm -hmm. ask me like how my latest half marathon or triathlon was. Yep. I feel really touched that they've taken the time to take an interest in me and that they've remembered things that are important to me. Mm. And that naturally makes me like want to work for them a little bit more, a little bit harder, because I think this person's taken an interest in me. Mm. So I, I, this is something I learned as quite a junior officer. I um, actually, um, I was just before I deployed to um, Afghanistan, my company commander at the time, who's a major, which is the rank I am now, and I was a lieutenant, he said to me, wow, you really know your soldiers. You know everything about them. And I just thought, yeah, I do. I do. And then I found that when we were in Afghanistan and we were having, you know, our quiet moments, our downtimes, the fact that I was able to say to them, you know, have you written to, have you received an email? How so-and-so back at home? Are you missing you know, people by name, mm. I could just see that they just like welled up inside a little bit that I'd remembered and that I cared. And I think that goes a long way. So I learned that quite junior just to invest in people in their lives. Um, and that was because you're the people who your leaders and superiors were doing that with you. Um, yeah. So people would, would remember, you know, my, at that point I wasn't married, didn't have children, but you know, people would know that I was probably off doing an Ironman or a triathlon at the weekend. <laughs> and uh, they, would, they would say, like, what was your time? How was your swim? How was your bike? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, and I'd be really enthusiastically talking about it. And then I'd go away with, like, a nice feeling, thinking, oh, that person was interested in me, not just interested in what they wanted me to do. They were interested in me. Um, so I liked that feeling. And then I made a point of making sure that I knew I did that to my team. So I knew if they had children, what their names were, how old they were, if it, what their wives did for a living or their husbands did for a living, what their what their crazy mad hobbies were too. Mm. Um, and I just made a point of, find, of, of, of just finding out about them. And then as soon as I knew a little bit more about them, we could have those more sort of like personal conversations. They also became much more relaxed around me. Yeah, but... Um, which which helps and I just think that it just really helped the relationship and the trust grow, go um, uh, when I spoke to you before Rob I touched on about the the Remy's um, unique so in in the way that sometimes our soldiers know more than we do <laughs> and I'd say that it's that soldiers around the world will say we all know more than the officers <laughs> so, all hands up you all know more than the officers but <laughs> they will definitely attest to having more common sense anyway um in in, a, in 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 the RIMI, which is the Royal Corps of Electrical Mechanical Engineers, um, for those that don't know, um, I the best way I describe us to people that don't know anything about it is we are uh, Green Flag or the AA or the RAC to show no faces. Just <laughs> Um, other breakdown uh, companies are available. <laughs> other, yeah, other breakdown companies are available. <laughs> Even Frank's Garage under the arches. <laughs> Yeah, or the Webster's off Cory. Anyway, <laughs> I've digressed. <laughs> so um, 
any piece of equipment, uh, Apache attack helicopter, a Challenger mm. main battle tank, um, to a piece of engineer bridging, um, to a radio system, our communication systems, um, and uh, weapon systems from, you know, pistol, all the way up to maybe a sniper rifle, all the way up to a rod of cannon on a armored fighting vehicle. Mm -hmm. Anything, anything that breaks, the Remy, the recovery mechanics go get it. If we can repair it where it's broken down, being blown up, even under fire, do our best to put it back in the hands of the army as quick as we can. If we can't repair it at point of failure, then we bring it back through the echelons to the safer places, depending on how much it needs, how much repair it needs. Mm. So that's our job. And that's where and that's where every breaks down, which could literally be anywhere in the world anywhere. potentially at any be. point at any sort of situation yeah so you know on operations in afghanistan and iraq which are probably most recent in most people's minds hmm. in that kind of asymmetric warfare it's 360 degrees there's no there's no front line <laughs> there's no hmm. front line it's it's coming it's coming from all directions so wherever the infantry cavalry um are out on the ground using the equipment getting their part of the job done wherever they get struck by mine strike weapon systems or they unfortunately and we really hope they don't just have a mechanical failure because we try to do preventative maintenance in those situations mm. so that they won't break down when they go out because that's that's a bad day at the office yeah if you've, if you've broken down if you get hit that's a bad day at the office but at least it was due to enemy action not not a bit of friendly mechanism failure yeah um so wh wherever they go the, the recovery mechanics we have forge repair teams have a vehicle mechanic maybe an electronics technician they'll go forward and if they can get that vehicle fixed and back straight in the fight then and then they'll do it if not then it can come back and we can repair it because clearly you're not gonna you're not gonna start changing an engine while the enemy's shooting at you because that's mm. just stupid. you're gonna get it back to a safe location sounds, sounds reasonable to me yeah <laughs> so so my role as an engineering officer is, is basically to understand what needs to be done and to manage all the sort of resources that I've got. So I need spares, I need a facility to fix vehicles, and I obviously need the, the manpower to do so. Now, I don't know how to dismantle the inner workings of a sniper rifle, for example, or I don't know how um, to um, change an axle on a massive armoured vehicle. I don't know how to do those things. That's what my soldiers do. They're, ex they're engineers too. They are trained to do the tactical engineering straight in. Everyone's uh, screaming at the screens right now, Charlotte, going, how do you not know how to do that? We all know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what they're the experts in. So when I, you know, I can't fix, fix the electronics and then mm. a patch attack helicopter, an avionics technician can do that. Mm. But what I need to do is I need to be able to um, understand how much is broken mm. <laughs> and how long it's going to take us to fix it all. Mm. And I need to translate all of that back up to the higher command and say to them, this is the situation, what equipment we're going to have ready for you for the next start, well, the next phase of the battle so mm. that you can carry on fighting. And for me to do that, I really need to trust my soldiers because they, the power is in their hands because they're the experts on how long it's going to take to fix a piece of kit, realistically, mm. in those situations and with how it's damaged. And obviously, in a war situation, 
it's getting some quite unique damage, you know, <laughs> from enemy action. Yeah. So you really, really have to trust the expertise and their knowledge. So even though it's your most junior member of your of the of your team, they actually now have a lot of knowledge and power. And and you can help, you need that knowledge and power um, to help influence your plan, your decisions, mm. so that you can be higher commander how long things are gonna take. So I think the dynamics in the remit, things are, are switched around a little bit because although I'm always the leader, um, I really need their expertise, really need their expertise. Um, and being an engineering officer is also about understanding everything because clearly that I, I need to not be uh, flagged. Is the word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to not have the wool pulled over my eyes. You, oh, need, yeah. you need to know enough. I need to know enough. <laughs> I need to know enough, but I don't need to know the detail. And then obviously, again, my the commanding officer that I'll be working for won't be a Remy officer. So I don't need to go up to him and start telling him that the wiring loom in the what do you call it's burn out, because he'll be like, What? <laughs> you know, he wants to know when is his vehicle or helicopter or weapon system going to be back working because yeah. he needs it for x y and z so you so you're a bit of a translator there and then um so i think in the remit it's really important um that you have these engineering qualifications so that you can understand your soldiers and mm. i have actually been in situations funnily enough in afghanistan when we had a vehicle that had a vehicle fire and because I'm an electronic engineer, that's what I did at university, um, my soldiers were having a real hard trouble um, rewiring the wiring loom. <laughs> they couldn't follow the circuit diagram. They were like, this makes no sense. <laughs> that um, sounds like so me I, with an MFI wardrobe. So <laughs> I should say MFI now. It's Ikea now, not I, MFI. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, pressure. Do I admit that I did electronic engineering at uni? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Felt to make a fool of myself. I'm really putting myself on the line here. But I said, right, let's have a look. And yeah, um, thankfully, I remembered what they taught me at university. Loughborough will be proud. And, um, and yeah, we worked out the wiring loom and we did it together. So that's another point I'd like to make about leadership is I have learned never, ever ask anyone to do something you won't do yourself, even if that's sweep, sweeping the floor or making a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. So if you're not prepared to roll your sleeves up and get stuck in um, and, and help help your team out, then then don't be a leader mm. because you need to show that you're willing to do it as well. And to be fair, that day is one of my proud days. And um, definitely um, the soldiers in Afghanistan at the time will remember that because they could not believe that I could do it. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. <laughs> so they're like, oh, maybe she does know a bit about <laughs> engineering. <laughs> it's, a, it's a conversation that I've had, I've had quite a lot with, uh, with a couple of, particularly a couple of connections of mine that I used to work with around just how much of a role does a leader need to know you know should they be able to do everything within that role should they be able to understand everything in that role or do they not need to know anything about that role their role as a leader um, and for me it's never as simple as saying it's that one or it's that one or it's that one there's there's different styles different people and, and, and different situations um, well, a good example you've mentioned coaching um I know that there's 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 a there's debates out there to kind of go as a coach. Do you is it better for you to not to know the subject, and so therefore you're less inclined to get involved in the answer. Mm. Um, and then sometimes though people actually want a coach who has some experience, so they can 
maybe lend some ex- bit of that experience to the situation? What, what, how does that how does that work in, in the army? What does one of those more prevalent than the other? So I think I suppose what you were talking about there is like when you don't know something, um, and you're coaching someone and you don't know the subject, have you got any credibility? Maybe mm-hmm. because I think I personally feel that I would resonate or I would naturally trust somebody who I knew maybe had a qualification or an experience in that in that area Mm. so I think credibility really helps with coaching so the fact that I'm an engineer as well gave me a little bit of credibility instantly it doesn't you've got to prove it you know Mm. you got money where your mouth is but I think that credibility helps so I think when with coaching um with coaching soldiers and junior officers because because being a major now I I have the luxury of having captains and lieutenants that sometimes have to work for me (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I I find that um if you've got common ground it really helps Mm. it does help and and it does give you that credibility and I think looking at just myself personally when I've potentially been coached through my career if someone's physically been in that situation I, I do feel a sense of well how did it work out for you in that situation Mm. And I feel myself that if I'm trying to help someone in a situation where I've not been through before, I always caveat it with, well, I've not been through this. And I don't feel as confident as a person, maybe. Mm. Uh, because I'm saying I can give you some general advice, but maybe not some really pointed advice. Mm. Um, so and, and sometimes there might be some sort of credibility in that in itself. But you know, I get that because the story, one story that reminds me of, it was years ago, there was the... Uh, the rugby coach, Clive Woodward, or Sir Clive Woodward, as he now is, that, that won the, the World Cup with the team. Um, and he later became involved um, at some level with Southampton Football Club. And there were rumours for a while that they were considering him to be the manager for Southampton Football Club. And that sparked a big debate at the time to kind of go, well, he's obviously a great sports leader. He's led a country to the World Cup, but he, he knows nothing about football. <laughs> he's rugby. So he can't possibly undo that can he um and it's kind of playing into what you're saying there and like the credibility he's obviously got a set of skills that makes him credible at that level but he hasn't got the experience or less of an experience that makes him go hmm, i don't think you can apply those skills in this area yeah so he, they would just let her, definitely have had to let him have a go and see because there's so many parallels in that in mm. elite sport, you know, managing elite sport, managing a team, um, and there's so many parallels. But obviously, the only real difference is is the actual rules of the game and the game. And is that a big difference that you couldn't lead that team? Um, I think it's definitely a potential blocker. So mm. I think that's what it would there be a resistance. There would be the well, he picks the ball up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't teach him to do that. How, <laughs> you're allowed how, to pass it forwards now. <laughs> how can that possibly translate to football? But if you were to unpick the actual skills, you know, knowing about elite sport, knowing about training, about how the body works, about nutrition, mm. you know, how to get the best out of people. Um, if you if you looked at it purely on, on a skills level, then he's probably the best, one of the best people for the job. Yeah. on that level but what would block him is this misconception that he's a rugby player not a footballer mm. um so if people could get over that but yeah he de- he definitely i think that would be maybe the team's perception of him the way they're looking at him yeah um, 
that brings me to another one of my little leadership points. <laughs> um, self-awareness, yeah. but not you need to understand how your team will see things. Mm. So you've almost got a counter plan. <laughs> because when you're trying to um, communicate the why we need to do something and to get them on board, you've almost got to think about what, how they will see it and what mm. they will think of it so that you can potentially be prepared for those questions. Mm. Um, so you've almost got your counter answers ready. So mm. I think, yeah. And what's the best way to prepare yourself for that, do you think? Oh, what's the best way to, well, goes back to what I said, know your team. Mm. <laughs> know your team, because if you know your team, you'll know what they'll come out with first. Yeah. You'll know, yeah. you'll know instantly, Frank's going to say this, <laughs> Sue's going to say that, <laughs> Sarah's going to bring this one up, I'm ready for you. <laughs> not in a, not in a, like, adversary, like, not in a, you know, um, in an aggressive manner. No. But just, you know, this is, this is the plan, this is the why, and I'm going to have to sell this, I'm going to have to sell this to the team, because the team are going to want to do this. Mm. Um, I'm going to explain to them why we need to do it, but ultimately it might result in late late nights, um, not getting home, see the families, um, hard work, hard graft, a um, bit of grit and determination on their part. And you know, I need to I need to see how they're going to look at it so that I can make sure that when I'm communicating why we need to do this, I can alleviate these fears. Mm. And it stitches together with with all the things you've been saying, actually, not just not just the first points that, yes, by understanding your people, but also for the fact that you trust them to be specialists in their field, that they'll know things that you don't know. So by knowing the things that they know that you don't know, by just that connection, you'll be able to kind of go, oh, well, I'll need to prepare for this because I know that person is going to ask something from this angle because they're an expert in there and they'll be wondering how it impacts this role that they need to do to achieve this target. So I need to prepare those types of answers. And again, it's just, it's so much, and it might sound, it might sound kind of weird to say because when you say it out loud, you think, why would anyone not do it that way? But again, in, in kind of more private enterprise and, and, and large corporations, perhaps more so, um, that's not always the case. And again, people will kind of go, right, well, we've come up with what we need people to do. We've come up with the idea. We're just going to tell them and they can crack on with it. And then when the questions come back, they're going, why aren't you just as passionate about this as I am? Yeah. Why, why, why aren't you just rolling with this and excited to get into it? Just like I've spent the last two weeks like building this. You should be like hooping and hollering about this. But, you know, because like, you spent two weeks in the detail of it. And this is the first time these people have heard anything about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that you have to be a salesman because, you know, with the connotation of salesmen, some of our mm. minds instantly go to the dodgy used car salesman. <laughs> <laughs> we're back to we're back to frank again in the extenders here <laughs> we're back to the dodgy car salesperson that potentially sent sells us a dead vehicle so i'm not saying mm. they, like honesty trust integrity you know they are key but there's a there's a big you know there's big studies into transformational leaders and charismatic leaders and um yeah, like, does, does a person need to be charismatic for you, for you to follow them? Mm. And I don't necessarily think that someone has to be standout charismatic for you, for you to follow them. They just need to have you with, you just need to have the team with you. So in mm. those situations, 
and they, those situations you were talking about in a corporate sense on really like change management situations when people come in with a whole new way of doing things yeah. more efficient we're going to be streamlined and we're going to put in a new computer file system and everything's going to work and everyone's just like oh, <laughs> oh what what's wrong with the old system it works for us because we use it every day this doesn't work for you because you don't use it every day yeah yeah so i mean in those in those situations I don't I want to say you've got to sell the plan but sell the plan makes you feel like you like I'm saying you've got to lie to them a bit you never lie to them you've just really got to communicate why you're doing it and you've really got to bring them on board so rather than just say I'm doing this to you (laughs) and I'm going to make you follow this new plan it's this is a new plan you're really good at this part you're going to lead on this part you're going to work with so-and-so who's not done this before so you're going to bring that person on or that person's got a little bit of experience and might be able to help and they've really got to own the plan with you mm-hmm. they've got to be empowered to make it an excess they've got to understand why and they've just got really got to be brought into it um well it's actually quite it's what an interesting parallel is um i've uh, recorded uh, an episode i think it's coming out in a couple of weeks with a gentleman called steve purdom who was um he's actually a, a ceo of a company that i used to work at which is how i knew him um, and in his story, he talked about, it's just weird, the overlap actually that you've just covered that he talked about being in his kind of before the, the big success, he was, um, he was very much a salesman and then kind of ahead of sales and looking after salespeople. And he went, <clears throat> and then one day it, it, they needed to kind of give the company a boost in some sort of way. And he, and he, and he was asked to take over the marketing department. And at that time he, he thought of that as being a demotion. He, like, he thought of people who did marketing were people who failed at sales. <laughs> um, but it was actually his wife. And I think we in the, in the pre-chat about this, we just talked about his wife. He brought him a cup of tea on the episode of the podcast. <laughs> Waved to me. Absolutely brilliant. Um, hi, Julie, if you're there. Um, and it was actually her that um, kind of pushed him and said, do you actually know what marketing really is? Um, and on the back of that, he went on to a, a course around strategic marketing. And he said that was the thing that changed everything from that day for him when it came to leading and developing a company and leading the people towards the vision. Because it wasn't about trying to sell them the vision and sell them the why. It was when you look at marketing, whether it's your customer or your people, it's understanding them. It's understanding what their needs are and what their requirements are and why they should be interested in what it is that you're putting out into the world. And then creating a strategy that works with and for them to build that thing. Um, so they actually want it. They're actually connected to it rather than feel like it's been pushed on them. Um, it, it, does that kind of fit in, in what you're talking about as well? Not selling, but more marketing. <laughs> yes. So it's definitely, um, so this is a bit of um, sort of behavioral psychology here, target audience analysis. Mm. So know your audience. So those that are against you, they're against you and then you've got those that are with you they're yeah. with you so those that are with you i'm not saying ignore them but you don't need to sell them anything but you can use them because mm-hmm. they're already with you those in the middle that are here or there that, that's your target rich environment <laughs> yeah get those ones on board so the ones that are already on board with the idea and are in in the plan invested in the plan get your big middle section that don't know if they're in or out to be in as well yeah and then these guys on the periphery that don't really want to do it 
they'll start migrating in <laughs> because they'll see everybody else doing it and everybody else getting on board and it's a little bit of sort of sheep action going on yeah. <laughs> but when they're resisting on their own um they'll soon stop resisting but obviously still key communicate with them empower them give them tasks to do to bring them on time yeah but yeah i'm i'm definitely it's all i'm very interested in psychology and how and how uh, the mind works and how how people see things view things from a different mm. point of view and how that can all contribute to your team but then when you're sat there as a leader and you're trying to bring something new in if you can understand the dynamics a little bit more and use that is that yeah. to your advantage? And understanding those people again, just talking to them, like say, asking them how the weekend was and, and learning stuff about them, all all really helps in that. I mean, a lot of academics talk about it in terms of um, the, what you've been talking about there, um, law of diffusion of innovation. Um, so it's things like, you know, it's not the people who will queue outside the Apple store for 12 hours before it opens on launch day that you need to convince to buy a new iPhone. Yeah, it's it's, it's the people that are out there that have, <laughs> have ne said they've never wanted one or people that are on the verge of thinking well should I go for one next time because yeah. they're going to buy it whether it's the worst iPhone in history or not <clears throat> excuse me they're going to buy and queue for that iPhone <laughs> they absolutely are and then a bit of a just to draw some parallels is um see I was I was definitely the against when Apple was storming the market and I yeah. Blackberry. <laughs> I loved having a quirky God, I had a Blackberry. I had, two, I had no, my <laughs> wife had two Blackberries. I had a Blackberry. I can remember getting one of the latter Blackberries and people looking at me going, Why have you still got one of them? Loved them. Absolutely loved them. Yeah. And that, yeah, I did. I just loved the quirky keyboard. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then unfortunately, because the market was, was dominated by obviously Apple. I just eventually <laughs> progressed into the middle ground. <laughs> yeah. I'm still not going to queue up at the Apple shop, <laughs> but uh, yeah. No, um, it's true, but it got, it got me. I, I, I was, I got a, the Blackberries and I went Android phones for a while. Um, and then I dipped my toe into the Apple world and got an iPhone and an iPad and it was brilliant. But then I went, I gave me head a shake about three years later and I went, no, 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 I'm going to go back. I'm going to get a, um, I'm going to get an Android phone. I think it was a Samsung and I just missed the simplicity when things started to go wrong. I went, I'm going back and here I am now. I'm talking to you on a, uh, an Apple MacBook. I've got an iPhone sitting over there with the AirPods next to it. And that's it. I'm in the ecosystem now. There's no escaping. <laughs> and, well, talking about Apple, um, it's something that um, Steve Jobs has reportedly said about always being challenged by his team hmm. um, and um, or pushed by his team. So just bringing it back to leadership and the army, um, you've got a really good close-knit team. And in your team, you've got a hierarchy, you've got structures. So I just mm. said, you know, I've got captains, lieutenants. But most importantly, I've got senior soldiers. I've got um, sergeant majors and staff sergeants. And they have been in the game for so long. They, they know what they're doing. They're so professional. They're so experienced and they're qualified. And those guys and ladies are the best sounding board. So even mm. when you, as a leader, don't know what to do next or you meet yourself with a situation that you're unsure of, that sort of like higher level of senior soldier, you like middle management, mm. you absolutely go for them and, and you say, guys, <laughs> help. <laughs> and um, they'll pick you up when you're down and they'll say, you're doing a good job. You've made the right decision. We're with I mean, you. They'll back you up. And they'll also tell you when you're stupid. <laughs> That's a stupid idea. We'll do it this way. And then hopefully you've got enough good sense to say, 
Yes, Sergeant Major. Absolutely, Sergeant Major. But that's where that trust comes back in again, doesn't it, Charlotte, that you talked about. If you build that level of trust up, give it and build it, then when that challenging conversation, as some might call it, comes along, then you actually do trust in the person that they're saying it for a reason. If you don't do that, if you don't build that trust up first and that you, people could just construe that as a, you're, that's an attack or they're trying to bring me down or they're trying to discredit me. It's not. And, and quite, quite often, sometimes it is. <laughs> that's the reason why people are doing it because the trust hasn't been built. But in your world that you talk about that, you know, trust being the key of it, it's easier to start saying you're doing this from a, a good place. We, we are like, the, the, when you're learning about being a leader, you really need to, for me, what was really easy to do was to look at leadership traits and some of my leaders that I didn't like. <laughs> and yep. uh, say to myself, I am not going to do that. Really easy to identify those traits, those bad traits, because they're easy because they make you feel angry or mad yourself yep. as, as the person that's receiving that behaviour. So I instantly recognised what I was not going to do. Um, but it's only really... Um, more recently that I've noticed that those leaders that invite challenge and say, challenge me, mm. I've come up with an idea, challenge me. And they don't mean challenge me in an aggressive, um, like insubordinate and ruly um, way as I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. way. They mean go away, think of this critically, constructively and come back and present to me your challenge and mm. then I will take the time to sit down with you and either take some of your points on board or just explain to you in more detail of how I've got to my point. Yeah. And that's only something that's happened to me recently where I've had some um, really good um, leaders that have said, challenge me. So I've gone away, I've thought about it. And then I've gone back in with what, I, with what I'm concerned about. And they've sat down and they've talked through all of my concerns and they've explained um some other um points that i might have not known about mm. and then they basically explained to me how they got to the point of their decision mm. and then i've just gone wow goes back to the why i know why now yeah <laughs> i know why so what i from that what i've taken away from there is that 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 why and the clear communication obviously brings the trust mm. so before that conversation i was against the plan i wasn't in i thought it was a stupid plan i went away i did a little bit of thinking i came back and in a polite way said i don't like the plan mm. it took the time sit me down and go through the plan and explain uh angles avenues bits of information that i wasn't privy to mm. and then i came out of that going yeah it's a really good plan actually really good yeah <laughs> Did a, bit of, a good marketing conversation. <laughs> yeah. So I just think that, do you know what, the times where I've been in where I've briefed the plan and people have thought it's stupid and I've had to, sometimes in my more junior days, I've had to get in book. Mm. Yeah, this is the plan, we're doing it. We're doing it. I've now learned that if I just take the time to identify who that person is, give them the opportunity to go away, collect their thoughts and then come back to me and then sit down and discuss it all through. Mm. You turn, you turn your hater <laughs> into your biggest, into your champion. Yeah. Well, businesses, businesses are using some terminology like this now. They'll talk about going into 
into the war rooms or the other battle teams or things like that just corporates and not going into any wars or any battles here but <laughs> they're just in a room somewhere sitting in manchester or london or something but the idea being that these this type of exper experimental leadership where i've had this idea or it might not be the leader that's had the idea someone else or a team comes in there's the idea how could we strengthen it? How can we challenge it? It, 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 it? Do we think this could work? And if we do think it could work, do we think it could be better? Could it could it be bettered by anyone else's ideas? If this is a 7 out of 10, by working together, could we make it a 9, 10 out of 10? And I'm not suggesting we all start hooping and wallying and high-fiving each other. Mm. That's not very British. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't like that. They're British. No emotions. Stiff up a little. I welcome all difference. If you want to hoop and wallow and high five, you will. But it does definitely bring a, a better sense of cohesion mm. and um, team spirit and unity to work to achieve that together. Once everybody really understands why they are doing it, why they're doing it. I just, for me, and that's something key, why am I doing this? Yeah. And then as soon as I know why, the marketing plan has worked on me. <laughs> the salesperson's got a sale. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, you mentioned a few times uh, that you, you were over in Afghanistan. How long were you over there? So I've um, done two roles in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. um, spanning seven months in total. So what my well, my first role was at, at what's called a engineering um officer out on the ground so obviously being an engineer i was with the world um i was with the light dragoon sorry in garmacia so we were out in forward operating bases um in garmacia and the light dragoon's battle group um were out doing their things with the mercians and we were basically responsible for keeping all their kit going so yeah. that they could do anything out in the forward operating base there and going down to the checkpoints um whilst i was there even though I don't like to be seen as the female, it was quite handy that I was the female. So I was actually asked to volunteer to um, go on all the infantry foot patrols um, to act as a female searcher to search uh, women and children. Mm -hmm. They needed to be searched because they were potentially bringing things into the local area that they shouldn't have been bringing in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was out on foot patrol with the infantry a lot um, before women were allowed in the infantry. <laughs> so I was out doing that as my day job. And then my night job was sort of um, obviously running the um, what we call a light aid detachment, which is what I said, the AA to the to the army, um, making sure that all their equipment was fixed and ready to go back out the door, fit ready the next day. So, what was yeah. the longest amount of time you were, you were out there then? Um, in, in one chunk. Seven months in one chunk, because um, I I did that job for four months, and then I moved to a different job, which is um, which was in Kandahar which again was being an engineering officer um, in, in a headquarters situation. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously um, planning the more higher level, strategic level engineering things that we needed to do. So bring in, at this time, it was there was a lot of press um, about the army not having the right equipment in theater. Yeah. This is when we had all the uh, Mastiffs um, and um, Foxhounds and all the new equipment we were bringing into theatre. So in, in that role, my job is basically bringing all the new equipment into theatre and get it fielded and out, and out to the forward location so that the soldiers had the right kit, making sure that they were trained on it when it came into theatre, it had all the right equipment on it, it was working. Mm. And then in that role as well, I was also heavily involved in trials, trialling new kits. So we trialled Project Peacock, <laughs> and we trialled all the new uniform. So our new camouflage uniform that's been in now for quite a few years, um, 
back in 2009-10 we were still in the old um, either desert camouflage if you were out or not and you weren't very well camouflaged in the green zone so that was one of my jobs to trial all the new equipment going out on the ground making sure we couldn't be seen if we had certain patterns on and then I also did a lot of work with the senior scientists doing stuff with ground disturbance technology Uh Um, so um, we've got drones that fly over and can basically see if someone's been there by the fact that the ground's been messed with even if it's been walked on, you know, just even if it's just walked on by an animal, yeah. um, the technology we've got, you can see that the ground's being disturbed. So wow. spent a lot of um, a lot of time investing in our future technologies to keep you know the British Army competitive. So very different roles. So one out on the ground with the soldiers, leading um, leading those Remi soldiers, making sure all the equipment's fixed, and even going out with the infantry and and very much being a soldier on the ground to being in a, in a headquarters, being an officer. Um, Get, making sure that everybody's got the right equipment and then even having the time to um, to experiment with new future equipment that will come in and obviously change mm. the way of flight um, going forward and uh, having better technology. So two very different roles. <laughs> so how, um, how, how easy or tough was that from kind of a, a self-leadership point of view being... Well, you know, we, we actually we actually found out when we chatted the first time that um, you only lived uh, down the road from me for, for many years <laughs> in Staffordshire. Um, how, how tough was it to be away from home from those chunks of times? Is it is it something you get used to? Is it you tell me your words? So, uh, right. So when you first go, because I mean, I'm served in um, Northern Ireland. I've done big exercises in Kenya on two occasions and then obviously going to Afghanistan it's all quite exciting mm. <laughs> and when you're young and single it's what you really want to do you want to yeah. go and do it and you don't necessarily um understand the reality of it until you're there and then when you're there I do this classic isn't it shit gets real <laughs> <laughs> yeah suddenly you realize why you're there yeah. <laughs> Um, so your training prepares you, so the army's very good at training everybody, getting everybody prepared, you do a really intensive pre-deployment training package, um, you do, you do all of that sort of stuff, um, and, and then when you, when you are deployed in Afghanistan, um, you sort of realise that you are sometimes really in a leader, your position, sometimes you're a little bit on your own. Because mm. um, you, you're the only one, and you've got your team beneath you, and you sort of carry all their fears and worries and stresses and strains. Yeah. But for me, in particular, what I found works is I would just relate it back to knowing your team, mm. and if they know you, so you've got to be human. You're a human. You've really got to be you. You've got to be a human. So on our days in Afghanistan, and we did have some tough days because not everybody came home with us that we went out with. And those are really tough days and you've just got to carry on. Yeah. You can't you can't not carry on. Um, so in those situations, that's when the humility comes into it, the compassion and the empathy and just being an actual thoroughly decent human being. Mm. And you sit down and you just have a chat. You just have a chat and um, you potentially even have a cry together. Um, we sat around our makeshift campfire. <laughs> <laughs> In a, with, with our deck chairs that were made out of blown up chairs out of um, vehicles that didn't need their chairs anymore 
Oh. And uh, empty ammo tins. Sounds a bit like something you'd seen in a war movie, but it's true. And mm. um, we just sat around and we just had a chat. We had a chat what, about what made those people that are no longer with us great. Mm. And we laughed. We laughed. And, um, and we basically resolved that um, they'd want us to crack on. So we'll just crack on. So, sounds very family. It, yeah, very family. It's the it word is, that's coming to mind. It is very family. And then I, you know, you have your moments where you're still the leader. So you've just got to get on with the next task, but you've got to show your human. You've got to show your human. Because if you just pretended things like that didn't happen, then I don't think your team will think very much of you. So you've definitely got to show that you're a human. You've got to show your vulnerabilities. It just all helps um, build build towards the, the, the trust and um, the kind of the, the sense of unity that you all have. It does it does bind you closer together. All of those soldiers um, that I was in Afghanistan with, I remember every single one of them when I still talk to them. I think when you've been through situations like that, a lot of them wished me well because I've told them about my like LinkedIn post and I've yeah. said and I said to them, it's because of you guys because I absolutely wouldn't be here and be who I am today if I didn't have you shaping me. So thank you for being part of my journey. So a lot of them are, are, are signing up to listen. Mm. And yeah, so they know where they are. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just, I just, yeah. Yeah, it's lonely sometimes. It's lonely sometimes. But I think that's where, that's why you're the leader and you're paid maybe a bit more of the money. Mm. But it goes down to what I said before about leadership being a service. You're there to serve the others. So I was definitely there to serve them and try to bring them all home and look after them best as I could. Mm. I know mean, we're talking about two sort of separate worlds, but I just think that part of one of my um, my one of my start of my leadership framework, which talks about the myself piece around self leadership, which is why I was really interested in in that side of your story, talks about the the legacy and fulfilment that you want to have in the role that you're doing in your career um and it is it's wonderful to hear you talk about the the, the, well, the family that you had whilst at work and and the sharing of the stories and the emotional sharing because that's what we are that's what makes us human the fact that we can think and feel and have emotions and talking about those things and i just kind of wonder that again if, for people listening to this now and, and leaders out there whether it's you're reflecting back on a career that's towards the end or whether you're building a career that you've got many future years ahead of you. That's a really powerful way to think about um, your leadership style. That is that when you get to that point, as you're reflecting with me today, Charlotte, that what, what connection have you got with that team? What will they think of you when that journey's come to an end? Will you all still be talking to each other and connecting to each other because of the relationships that you've built? Um, or are you not? And, and, and why is that? <laughs> but one of the things that I'm most proud of is that um, a lot of um, the people that I've worked with are still in touch with me. I mean, yes, social media helps, but what really mm. makes me proud, really makes me proud is that when they're in the fix, they ring me. Yeah. And, um, that just shows because I've not been their platoon commander or their, you know, their captain for years. Mm. And they're still, the minute they're in a fix, they ring me. That's awesome. And I just think that just shows that I had the right impact on you because I know which leaders I would ring. 
when I needed some help and the fact that they still ring me or they still contact me or even you're walking down the road and they see you across the road rather than go <laughs> like hi come here quick <laughs> how are you doing so that just that just That's felt, amazing that just that feedback shows tells me I got it right for them I got it right I mean I probably didn't get it right for everybody but but for some I got it right and that just yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, some people don't get it right for anybody. And I think that's the that's the thing, just being able to lead in that way. And, you know, you mentioned social media. Social media is, it's it's a paradox in itself because I, I actually think that whilst it's easier to connect, I think social media doesn't actually mean people connect. Most of the time, it's people just follow each other to be nosy of what other people are doing. <laughs> They're not actually talking. So the fact that, the fact that despite that and people being connected on social media they're still ringing you or coming over to you because it is that connection that's that's strong not just we did work together so we'll kind of connect we didn't just work together we lived together we 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 shared together we went through everything together in a work environment yeah and i yeah definitely and um so i just i just want to say like when when you go away on operations with um you're all going away so you're all like leaving your families behind you've got your great support network but you're all going away and off you all go together when we um when the um covid and the global pandemic struck obviously the majority of the army we were all put on notice um to help it's called military aid to civilian authority mm-hmm. so we had all of our soldiers under our commands anyway and at the time i was a company commander at a training regiment so had 350 soldiers <laughs> under my command and we needed to follow direction which was to send them home government guidelines everyone's to go home and isolate so we needed to send them all home we needed to because most of them are trainees and we needed to do that safely and efficiently and we needed to make sure that they had safe homes to go to and that they would be you know well looked after and they had somewhere to go sometimes soldiers would join the army and them parents ran out the spare room so you know we needed to make sure that somewhere safe to go to where they'd be well looked after so we needed to do that but I needed also to do that when my own team so all of my sergeants staff sergeants sergeant majors and lieutenants and captains and my corporals all of them were not we've not actually gone away for operations (laughs) we're still at home so normally where we get to remove ourselves from the pressure of our domestics all of a sudden, I was charged with leading people in a completely new not dynamic. Mm. The domestic situation was a real big factor. And for the first time, I saw real vulnerability in some, in some of the soldiers where they looked at me as if to say, um, my, you know, my partner's got a condition they need to shield. I, don't, I feel compromised because I want to come in and do my job, my duty, but my partner's got to shield. And, and oh no, my wife's a nurse and I've got five children. Or oh, now I should say, oh no, my husband's a nurse and I've got five children. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, um, the schools are closed and panic. What am I going to do? I'm torn. Mm. So, in that situation, for the first time ever, we've been in a situation where domestics was right at the front rather than leaving all our families behind and off we went to be heroes. Had a complete new dynamic in the mix. And for this one, I just felt it was really simple. The government had put all their guidelines out, all their rules out. I just made the decision. I was like, right, your wife's a police officer. You have two children out of school. You go home. Goodbye. (laughs) 
we'll crack on without you. But you know, your your wife works in a care home, care homes are really strapped. You've got two children, you go home, we'll crack on without you. Right, I've sent those two home, you need to step up now. <laughs> we need to work together. We've got reduced manpower and we've got a sense of urgency and we need to get on with it. And I found that after it all, the soldiers, the soldiers that I'd shown real compassion and sent home to go and look after their domestic situations and their children, um, they came back to me afterwards and they were just like, thank you so much. You've no idea how much stress I was under. I was, I didn't, I was trying to tear myself in two, want to be at home, want to be at work. And you just told me what to do. Thank you for making such a click, quick, clear decision and giving me no chance to argue. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think mean, um, in all situations, I just I just think you need to really understand. I bring it back every time. You really need to understand your people. Mm. Like they loved the fact that I knew who was married to police officers, wives, teachers, care workers. They loved the fact that I knew that how many children they have, and that there I was straight in the sort of ops room, figuring out how we were gonna who who we were gonna stand up to be on readiness to support. Mm. You know the COVID initiative. It's called Opera Script. And who who are who we were going to stay in work to make sure that we got all of the trainees home in good order and well looked after, and and the fact that I could stand there and go instantly right you this is your situation you go this is your situation are you happy to stay yes you can stay are you happy to do part time happy to do flexible working take a laptop what do what you can at home, the fact that I knew their situations and I knew their strengths and I could do that even mm. in that very weird situation that we found ourselves in last March. Mm. We were still a united team and came together. So, it yeah. just—it sounds again. It just sounds like a—it's a really strong family again. Yeah. That you know that that connectivity to kind of go. First of all, the strength in leadership and trust to go, go. The decision—the decision is made. That's the right thing to do. Just go and be with the family. Go and do what you need to do. But then the other piece you said there around the people that are remaining all want to collectively step up and give extra to cover one of their own not and again I compare it to some kind of corporate environment so it might be all oh, right so that person's not here so you're throwing it at me are you I've got to deal with that now have I whereas that just <laughs> exactly I'm getting overtime I'm gonna to have to do more than this now why is it always me you pick on <laughs> that sort of stuff there isn't there isn't that there's there's part of it oh I hope they're okay but why me whereas this that that isn't there that that relationship that's built that family style relationship really just people just step up for each other that true values leadership that true values everybody's so important mm. values you are those values you are that brand mm. yeah i don't want to say that we're brainwashed or we're indoctrinated we're not <laughs> no i think it's bought into it's signed up to good values good values I think it's, it sounds like a culture that you, you've built together and you've all signed up to together and an agreed set of standards that you talked about earlier and, and, and values that you all want to live by and through um, as opposed to sometimes where companies might actually more sort of like the corpse again might go it's not built on the values the values are the thing that kind of come in afterwards so this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and these are the values we're going to show while we do it and then it's kind of you know it might be unkind to say it's an afterthought in all circumstances but quite often it is and then but the focus then is on what we need to do as opposed to who we are and who we're doing it with yeah whereas it's very much the other way it's, it's building that connection first we talked we talked when we chatted uh, last week we talked about Stephen Covey's book around the speed of trust 
Uh, and we said, you know, it's about making all that emotional deposits into those relationships, into that trust account. Um, so at times when the going does get a little bit tougher, we can withdraw from that account and there's no problems. We're not going into the red. Um, whereas if you don't build that up to start with and not because you're doing it for any other reason than wanting to build it up and wanting to connect, then if that's not there and you suddenly need to, to withdraw, that's when the trouble starts because you, you're, you're overdrawn straight away. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All credit card bills. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. I, I absolutely love that conversation, Chad. Thank you so much. Um, I think, you know, the, I think the insight of just your stories and your experience is, is fantastic. I also think the lessons, I mean, one of the, the biggest thing I, I take away from a, from a business leader point of view and corporate um, companies uh, and senior leadership teams is the, is just the idea of when people come in, everyone's taught and mentored as to what leadership and followership is. That's such a massive, massive gap that doesn't happen. Uh, and it, for me, it's, it's it, with you talking about it in the way you have, it's a glaringly obvious gap that, that <laughs> no one's done. Um, and that's, that's where it all starts. That's just like a, that's, that's a catalyst for this way of leadership and, and family and team building that you've talked about. So thank you for that. I'm going to make sure that that's front and center on the description <laughs> of the episode, because I think that's something people need to take notice. Yeah. Um, one thing we need to do is based on what we've chatted about is to come up with a title. Well, we were kicking around before about how in the army um, we obviously lead, we don't manage. Yeah. <laughs> and I said um, quite off the cuff that there's no soul in management. Mm. And I suppose what I meant here is, is all what I've talked about. So just to quote Slim again, leadership is just plain you, be you, be true to yourself, be honest and be a human and mm. just put your soul into serving your team and leading your team and I feel that in management you're potentially just a, a bit mechanical and mm. it's a bit administration whereas in leadership the emotional side come in we talked about the trust bank yeah so, yeah. so um leadership not management yeah I don't know what to say what the buzzline would be leadership um not I thought it's got a real ring to it when you said that, you know, there is no soul in management. And I think, you know, for me, it's so, it, there's an order thing around it. If you just go into things with a management mindset, the soul is missing 100%. Um, but if you lead in the way that you've talked about, then there'll become a point where maybe there's, there is more of that management that needs to happen for a moment that again, that we've kind of talked about, we've just not labeled it as that. And at that moment, there's enough in the bank again, there's that, that doesn't need that to bring more soul for a second because all the connection and all the relationship is there. And then you, you straight back into connection mode when it's required. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love, uh, well, the two things I've written down there was one, obviously there's no soul in management because you came up with that just before we came on the, the recording. Uh, and the other one was leadership and, and followership just because of what we talked about. But I think, I think the first one's got, got the ring to it. So I do, I mean, even with the leadership and followership pieces, um, you can't lead without followers and you can't mm. be a leader without knowing how to follow. And I don't think that anybody um, leads without being a follower of some description. Mm. unless you're truly at the top and I'm trying to think who's truly at the top because obviously in the UK we have a parliament so it's democratic there's no I know we have a prime minister but 
Mm. He's got a party behind him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, who truly is just pure leader with no one. You know, no one who they they are following. But and even and even then, in the way that you've talked up. about, you've almost flipped the hierarchy. So those people that are really at the top are actually really at the bottom, and they <laughs> they're following the people below them to serve them and learn from them. Because you've got to look down, you've got to look sideways, you've got to serve to lead, like leadership's service. You're not, if you're there for your own gain, then own gains, then you're not, you're not, you're not going to do very well because you really, you're absolutely nothing without the team and without the, without your followers. Yeah. So yeah, you are flipped on your head. You are flipped on your head. It's a life of service. And I don't, I don't say that like, like, you know, to play it down or anything, but it, 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 it it really is. And that's where you'll get your biggest gains and rewards from. Mm. Right, so I'm going to give you the casting vote. There's no soul in management, leadership and followership. You're nothing without your team. Oh, I like you're nothing without your team. You're nothing without your team. Yeah. And I think that as the way that the conversation's gone, we've, we've talked more about that. Yeah, 100%. Love that. See, the best laid plans. We love that one at the start. <laughs> Yeah. And you just have a conversation, look at the stuff that comes out of it, gold. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Well, you know, thank you so much for that, Charlotte. I think that, like I said, there's there's so many lessons in there for people to, uh, from a self-management and also leadership of their team's point of view. Um, and I hope that, 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 that loads of people, including myself, will start taking some of those learns and applying them in their everyday relationships and jobs and focus and leadership styles. I'll certainly be uh, be advocating for the, uh, the the leadership and the followership stuff whenever yeah. I'm working now. It's uh, certainly given me that key moment. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing your story. Um, and also thank you for your post on LinkedIn that, that started all this as well. Um, I think it's you know, truly an inspirational post. And I, I think it's something that I, I said to you last week as well. There is that, um, everything you talked about, that that vulnerability to just put yourself out there and go, this is me and this is what I believe. Um, and there's a truth and honesty around that. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, well, absolutely, absolutely great conversation. I've enjoyed it. And I hope you have too. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Time has flown past. Oh, it does. It does. <laughs> trust me. The years, not just the hours. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Well, thank you. Have a great day. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll speak again soon. Definitely. When I'm next up in Carmelton. Yes, we're going to go for a Costa Coffee, I believe. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Have a good one. See you soon. So that brings us to the end of the Leadership Untitled podcast for today. This episode will be called You're Nothing Without Your Team. All that remains is for me to again thank Charlotte for joining me today and providing some wonderful stories and tips around leadership from the army that I think we could all really, really learn from. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure you subscribe to the podcast platform of your choice or on the YouTube channel for future episodes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, just simply look at me on robmoors.com or email me at rob at robmoors.com or again, just get to me on LinkedIn. Speak soon. Bye now.